We're in a discussion about how to live a great story. And we're continuing in the book of Acts. If you want to turn, Acts chapter 6 and 7 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet, there's a Bible in front of you. You can turn there. Maybe you're here today and you don't believe the Bible is true. Well, I just encourage you, not everything you read is, not everything you read you believe is true, right? So it doesn't hurt to open it up and to read along and to see what it may say for your life and, and to learn from. As you turn to Acts chapter 6 and 7, we're going to look at a speech, at a speech that references past history. I love history. One of my favorite historical characters is uh, Winston Churchill in his famous speech, Never Ever Give Up. And I love history because in its zeros and its heroes, we learn from them. We are challenged by them. And we learn from history, and we don't have to repeat the things of our past. We can make course corrections. And as we jump in today, in Acts chapter 6 and 7, a little bit of context is this. Uh, that Christianity, in Acts chapter 6 and 7, has grown to the point where there's over, uh, over 10,000 Christ followers in a town that is only 50,000 strong. It's a pretty good population of Christianity. It's spreading. But Christianity is about to go global. It's about to spread exponentially. And one of the reasons why it's about to spread exponentially is because of one specific man. His name is Stephen. And we're going to be looking at his story and the speech that he gives. Stephen's story, his speech is unbelievable. He's, uh, right before he gives a speech, he's harassed. He's being wrongly accused. He's fighting for his life. He's been on trial, and he tells this story in his speech. It's an idolatrous, stubborn, and rebellious nation that he, that he says Israel is, and he makes them mad. And who he makes mad are the religious leaders who are falsely accusing him, and it gets him killed. It gets him stoned. Not the marijuana kind of stoned, but death kind of stoned. Okay, let's just get that straight. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, uh, we're not going to go through all of his speech because it's the longest speech you're going to read in all of Acts. We're going to look at this context. We're going to look at several verses. And also we're going to look at the references to that. So we're, let's look at the beginning. In verse 1 of chapter 7, the, the high priest asked Stephen, Hey, are these charges true? To this he replied, Well, brothers and fathers, listen to me. And then he starts. And at the end of the speech, verse 57 of that same chapter, it says that this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. I was just thinking about that and I was thinking, Lord, I pray that's not what happens after the end of my speech today. In verse 58, dr uh, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, we're going to summarize the speech of Stephen. We're going to look at it in bits and pieces. But if you could summarize, scholars and, and many people alike would agree, the summary of the speech would be really three things. If you can put this somewhere on your listening guide as you get it out and you, and you follow along and you dig into Scripture with me. Really, the first one is, is that you limited God. That's the first kind of point. The second point he makes is that, you know what, you're not the one who pulls the strings. You're, it's not your agenda. You're not in control. And number three, it's in the blood of Jesus is on your very hands. And that's one thing for the, the, the leaders to hear, these religious leaders that he's sharing this with. But what about our life? Well, what we're going to learn from this as we go along can teach us, 
can challenge us to live a great story. And, and regardless whether you're in the, the top of the balcony today or you're in the bottom of the front row of this uh, building, we can all be challenged, we can all be grown by the speech that Stephen gives. And so I want to do is I just want to give three simple and clear things we can understand from this speech for our life. And that is this. Number one, take God out of the pen. What, what we mean by this is that not only had the religious leaders put God in a pen and tried to corral God, we do the same. We do it all the time. Look at it with me in verse 1 and 2. Stephen replies to them, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Help frame this a little bit. I, I want to share a story with you. I, I, I was working on a ranch out west, and I came to realize that, that animals are put in a corral. They're put into a pen. And the reason why they're put into a corral and they're put into a pen is so that they will understand their capacity. They will understand that they can be controlled. And we like to do this for our life. We like to do this for other people. And we like to do it to God. Another example, social media. How many of you are on a social media platform by a show of hands here this morning? Yeah, 95 plus percent of all of us are on some kind of social media platform. And the reason why I like social media is it helps us connect to family and friends and we get instantaneous news and, and things around the world. But the bad thing about social media is this, that we can hem in, we can kind of brand ourselves. Meaning this, that we will contain all the good things and say all the good things going on. According to our social media accounts, our life could not be better. But we don't put on there about our fights with our spouse. We don't put on there uh, that you're, you just had an argument with your children or with your husband or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You don't put on there that you're struggling with an addiction or a, going through a trauma or whatever the case is. We try to guard, we try to corral, we try to pen up our own life. But ultimately, we want to pen, we want to corral God as well. And that's really what we need to understand. We need, that we do, we need to take God out of the pen. We need to stop limiting him altogether. And that's why in verse 2, he says this. See, God was not just in the temple. God was in the Middle East. He was in modern-day Kuwait. He was with Moses. He was with Joseph. His point is this. The glory of God, yes, it filled the tabernacle. Yes, it filled the temple. But it also fills the whole earth. That his glory fills the whole galaxy. And we're going to jump around a little bit. Verse 30 says, After 40 years he had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. God was there on the mountain. He was with Moses. Verse 44, Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. He was with Joseph or Joshua. He was with these individuals. The primary place of God was not just in one man-made structure, but he was everywhere. See, not only did the spiritual fathers need, or the spiritual leaders at the time need to see this and hear this, but we need to hear this. We like try to limit God and pen God up, and when you hem God in, when you pen him up, when you corral him, 
You have a tame God. You have a domesticated God. You can leverage God. You can make him whatever you want him to be. And then it's not scary. Then it's easy. Then you understand it. And certainly you would never see a God walk up on a tree and be executed and die for the sins of humanity. See, when we put God in a pen, we, 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 we do it this way. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to sing songs. I'm going to give. I'm going to read. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to obey what God wants me to obey. And that's great. But we think that that's where God is. And, and many times that's 5% of our life. Well, what about the other 95%? See, what we're doing is we're compartmentalizing God, aren't we? What's the rest of our life look like? 95% of it declares one thing and the 5% declares another. Are you with me? The nine o'clock crowd wasn't really with me, I don't think, because the rain and the thunder, but you guys are, aren't you? Like, this is a 1030 crowd, right? You're the party crowd, right? Yeah, so God, God, I totally lost my train of thought, okay? Not compartmentalization, there we go. So we're, 5% of our, our life really is about God, and the 95% isn't about God. But this is a challenge to us because that, that's not really true. Because God's everywhere. He's in all things. He's with us when we're sleeping, eating, with friends, not with friends, watching TV, watching sports, playing sports. He's with us in the weight room, running, at, in the classroom, in the boardroom, in the office room. He's with us everywhere. And this challenges us. And this makes God a big God. And because he's a big God, we must take him out of the pen to let him fully be God for who he is. And Stephen speaks about this. Look at it with me in verse 4. He's talking about Abraham. Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He moved Abraham. So he got out of the pen, does stuff that we can't expect. Then he speaks about Moses, verse 34. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Sometimes God out of the pen is going to send people back to things. Look at it with me in verse 45. After receiving the tabernacle, he's speaking about David. Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David. David wants to build a temple for the tabernacle. God says, no. God out of the pen sometimes says, no. But we don't like that. I don't like that word very often. No. But see, God out of the pen is going to look different and it's going to move in different ways. Here you have Stephen giving the longest speech in all of the book of the Acts. And this is significant, and here's why. Because Stephen is ordinary. He's just like you. He's just like me. He's not an apostle. And here you have this man, possibly the linchpin of reaching the globe. This is significant because this is the fulfillment of Jesus in John chapter 16 when he says, look, I'm going to leave. The Spirit's going to come, and it's much better. Now, for the disciples, that would have been a very fearful moment. You got Jesus. It would have been awesome to have Jesus with you. You know why? Because it's Jesus. I think how cool it would have been to have Jesus as your pastor. You're at a party, and every party is always finishes up well when you have ice cream. I'm a big ice cream fan. And you run out of ice cream, and half your crowd doesn't get ice cream. Well, you have Jesus there. Bam! Heavenly hash for everybody, right? 
and you have more left over, 12 more gallons of ice cream. You have deep, thought-provoking questions. The questions that no one has ever been able to answer, answers of the galaxy and of the, of the human genome and all these different things. Well, you have Jesus there as your pastor, and bam, he answers every single solitary thing. Your beloved dog, he gets sick and he dies, or she gets sick and he dies. But you have Jesus as your pastor, and bam, he resurrects your dog from the dead. Your cat, your cat dies. She's been sick, or he's been sick, and your cat dies. Well, Jesus comes along, and he just helps bury that cat. <laughs> right? But the point is this, the Spirit of God is leading ordinary people to live extraordinary lives because he's out of the pen. God out of the pen is going to lead you to places that only he understands and where we don't. So he's going to lead you into messiness. He's going to lead you into stepping out, into giving. And out of the pen kind of God is scary. It's scary for me and scary for you. But that means that God, he can't be leveraged. And God is in total control. And because he cannot be contained and because he's in control, that means, and that leads me to my second point that Stephen is leading us to understand is that, and admit that we are not in control. Lean over to your neighbor or someone and say, hey, you're not in control. Yeah, that's right. We're not in control. It's hard to say, isn't it? We want control. We even sometimes know this for our life, but it's another thing to really know it deep within our heart in our life. See, the religious leaders that Stephen are speaking to, they have understood one way of life for many years, and that is this, that all of the commands plus all of their obedience meant that God would bless them. We do the same exact thing in our life. That, that we do all these things, we do them the right way, the right w things, and everything will work out the way it should. And then things don't work out the way they should, and we are completely baffled. Stephen is speaking right in directly to that. Verse 38, look at it with me. He says, He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on the Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. And it says, and he received living waters to pass on to us. I mean, living words, my bad. He received living words to pass on to us. This phrase, living words, indicates that there's this dynamic design that God is up to. But so often the case, we will dumb things down to dead faith, dead rules, dead stuff. Because we want to create our agenda. We want to live out our way of doing things, our list, right? And here's how we live it out. We'll do the right stuff and our marriage will work out just the way we thought it would. We will discipline the right way and our children will turn out perfect. We'll do the right things at work and we will always ascend the career ladder. We will do these things and our health will always work out the way we thought. But see, we're not writing our, the agenda, are we? I have two little children they're four and six. And so once in a while, they'll come up to me and they'll say, hey, we want to watch this show and we want to eat this food as we watch this show. And I'm like, whoa, let's just stop right there for a second. First of all, that's not how we ask for food at our house. We say, please. 
And so the, the girls will think for a moment, and they'll back up, and they're like, okay, sorry, Daddy. Can we please have this food? Can we watch this show? And I'll say, no. It makes them so mad. They're so angry about it. And I, and I would be too. And I am that way. When my agenda isn't fulfilled the way I want it to be. And we have Stephen speaking to these leaders. In verse 39, look at it with me. He quotes another historical event. He says, But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Basically, we don't like the agenda, so we're going to create our own God who we can contain and that we're in control of. But we have to admit that we're not in control when we realize there's things out of our control. The weather, for instance, even this morning it is raining. We cannot control it. But admitting we're not in control it means several things for our life, doesn't it? It means that we can't save ourselves. All the religions in the world would say that, you know, we're our own God or, or we can ascend our way to God or we can think our way to God or we can perform our way to God or we can do these things and we will be loved by God. And, and then we'll live these happy lives or whatever the case is. But Christianity would say that his grace is sufficient for you. And because his grace is sufficient for you, that means that while we were still sinners, he died for you. And this is the good news. See, when we're not in control, that means that we need someone who is in control to save an out-of-control individual named Ray Green. See, admitting we're not in control also means that it's going to redefine the way we look at success. Success may look like X, Y, and Z for you, but God's success for you may look like totally different. Admitting we're out of control also might mean that we submit and serve the one who is in control. You see, if we're not in control, then it would naturally mean that we would put ourselves under the service of the one who is in control. You have Stephen, this young, promising leader. He identifies himself as what? A servant. The one thing in Acts chapter 6 you get the idea about that he is there to serve the body of Christ. He's there to with a towel around his forearm. You know, I, I want this church to be a place of service, a place that serves, a place where our towels are around our arms and we're there for other people. We hear stories, I hear stories about like this all the time. One GBCer who goes and picks up the same individual every single week and brings them to this church to gather in this building. That's service. Another GBCer uh, I know, he, he greets at the same door every single week at the same hour. And he's been doing this for years and years and years. That's service. You know, I wonder as he gets older and one day God says, well done, good and faithful servant, I wonder what young person is going to stand up and take his place and her place in service. Another GBCer, it's actually a couple, they spend every single Sunday uh, an hour and a half loving on the same group of aged children. My kids have been loved by this couple. In fact, we had a, a couple recently who started attending Graceland. The fastest demographic growing in our church 
is, is young married people. And I'm grateful and excited about that demographic that's, that more and more people are coming that are young marrieds. And um, they came to our church. I said, what, why, what made you come back the second time? Anyone can come the first time. What makes you come the second time? And they said, you know what made us come back the second time? Not the preaching, the teaching, not the music, but the children's ministry. Because that couple loved our kids in a way they'd never been loved before. And that's service. And, and really, that speaks right into a statistic I heard recently. And the statistic said that 70% of individuals in the first seven minutes will make a decision whether they like the church or they don't like the church. Seven minutes. And you know what that tells you? You know what that tells me? That the ministry and impact of lives being transformed starts the very moment the door opens. And friends, that's what we're a part of. That's what we can take service in. When we're not in control, we fall underneath and we want to serve the one who is in control. And there's all kinds of opportunities. You know, many times people will ask, well, how many people serve in the life of a church? You know, and I just want to challenge us. I don't want to be one of those 90-10 type of churches. I don't want to be the kind of church that 10% do all the work and give all the money. I want to be the kind of the church where everybody chips in and is a part of all of it, don't you? Where everyone has got a, a part to play. And you say, well, I don't serve. How do I, how do I fit in? Well, let me ask you a few questions. What well, lights your fire? Where's your gift mix? Or I'll just ask this question, what needs to be done? I mean, diapers need to be changed, right? Toilets need to be washed. I always tell our team this, uh, that I will preach on Sunday and I'll, do, I'll clean a toilet on Monday if I have to because that's a towel around my forearm. When we admit we're not under control, we put ourselves underneath the one who's in control and that puts us out of place, a service. One of the great ways you can step up and lead is to be a group leader. You know, Graceland is growing and because God is adding to our numbers, we're in need of more groups. And our groups is the, one of the primary ways we see discipleship happen in the life of an individual. One of the greatest ways you can see someone's life change, the greatest way you can see God use your life and you be challenged and you use your gifts for the glory of him would be for you to step into leading a group. And here are the qualifications, that you're breathing and that you follow Christ. If those are two things that you qualify for, you, my friend, have the opportunity to do it. Because... <laughs> What separates you from um, anyone else like Stephen or any of those people we're reading in Acts is our obedience, really. Because the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit that was in this book that we read. So to lead a group. Because in a group we see growth. In a group we see community. In a group we see unbelievable impact. And we want to launch groups not only on this campus in the mornings on Sunday, but we want to launch groups throughout the week and weeknights in coffee shops, in your own neighborhood. We want to launch new groups and we need these to launch and we need you to step up to do it. And a great way for you to step up is we're going to have a little informational time, just a few minutes, and it's going to be on August the 6th and it's going to be right here on a morning and uh, you can just read about it in our bulletin. But I would really encourage you to think about that. You see, when we're not in control, we fall under the one who's in control and that means that we fall to a place of service. And when we're not in control, that leads us and, and, and really gets us to the point to walk with Jesus. And that's my final point of Stephen's message, to walk with Jesus. Stephen ends his speech, and it has everything to do with Jesus, even though he never says Jesus' name. 
In verse 52, look at it. It says, Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? (laughs) They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. He's talking about John the Baptist. They killed him. They killed Jesus. They broke the law. They thought they were in control. And when you're in control, you cannot walk with Jesus because you are the one trying to lead the way. You can take a walk just like them, or you can take a walk as a Christ follower with Jesus. You know, if you go back 2,000 years to Good Friday, on a Friday, right? You could have been one of the early religious leaders. They walk into the temple. They're feeling good about themselves. Or you could have been walking with Jesus up on a hill where he said some words like, it is finished. Father, forgive them. And at that very moment, the temple was shaken, the the curtain was torn, and everybody realized, uh uh-oh, God's not there, but he's on a wooden cross. That the God they thought was, is not the God that, who was. That he couldn't be penned in, and they weren't in control. And so that meant that they could walk with this God. Because God isn't the kind of God that can be figured out and surmised just a few sentences. He's so much more because he's always doing things that doesn't make sense to us. He tells this guy who can barely get out a sentence named Moses to go take on an empire. (laughs) See, we, we want safety in times when we don't feel like we know what's going on. But it's in those times when we walk with Jesus, we're right where he wants us, he wants us to be. You've got King David, and he's the most prolific king of Israel. And he says, I'm going to build a temple for God. And God's prophet says, no, you're not. What? No, you're not. But he says, but one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever. And what that proves is that sometimes our dreams, our things, that our agenda must maybe be put on the back burner because God's agenda is so much greater than what we ever thought to begin with. And what that looks like is walking with Jesus. You see, you know what he says? He, God, God says this, look, you know, you thought, you thought it was this, but I'm actually sending my son. I'm sending my son to walk through with you through whatever you're going through. I'm sending my son to walk through your difficult marriage. I'm sending my son to walk through with you in your struggle to get pregnant. Or I'm sending my son to walk through with you in your struggles of depression. I'm sending my son to walk through with you your heartache of loss or your issues with health or your singleness that you struggle with or whatever the case is. Just this morning I was reminded that he's with me. that That this whole thing that we call religiosity or religion or faith or church, whatever, do you understand that it's more than a tradition, but it's a relationship with a God who walks with you. And, and, and Jesus is walking with Stephen. And the stones are out and he's being pelted. And he's on his knees. And he sees the heavens open. And he sees the glory of God. And the power of God gives Stephen the ability in those moments to forgive even the people that are literally stoning this man to death because he walked with Jesus. This is a story of great proportions. And friends, I just want you to know you can walk with him through whatever 
you're going through today. This is good news for you. This is good news for me. It's good news for the world. We live in today because we are out of control. We can't pen him in, which we can't walk beside him. And we can understand how he leads us. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you a few questions. Are you walking with him today? Are you walking with him today?